Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate and review the podcast, follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenziebrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. Got a great show today, PGF Nation. Have a bunch of games we're going to talk about from week 16 in the NFL. We're going to give out this week's NFL game balls. I have a special guest later in the show, and we'll end with the pick six, where we pick our six best bets of the week ahead. And back from Vegas, radio and podcast legend, my co-host, Tyrone Powell. Ty, welcome back. How was Vegas? How was your holiday, man? I went pretty well out there in the Valley and um, back to the East Coast and the swing of things and getting ready to close out the year of 2021 and jump right on into the year 2022. How are you on the West Coast? Man, things are good. We got a lot of snow out here right now, which I know you're used to up there in the Northeast, but out here in the Northwest, it's a lot of rain in the wintertime. We do get a little bit of snow, but nothing like you guys see. And we've actually had quite a bit recently. So it's been a little crazy for us. It's been really cold, but you know, we had a white Christmas, a great holiday. It's been awesome. Been been holding it down, waiting for you to get back, Ty. I'm excited to have you back on the show. I've got a ton of games I want to get to, and I can't wait to get your takes as always. But we got to jump into some news here real quick, Ty, before we get started. Some breaking news happened right before we went to record, and that was the passing of John Madden. This is a guy who is an absolute icon in the NFL, a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Fame broadcaster, and of course, we all know him for the historic video game, one of the greatest video game franchises of all time. It really changed the way we play sports video games. He was one of the first guys to really try to make his video game the most realistic sports video game possible. And he was always trying to be innovative, whether it was on the football field as a coach, he was innovative as a broadcaster, and just a legend of a figure in the NFL. Really sad to hear that he had passed. What are your thoughts on John Madden? What are your takeaways from what he did in his unbelievable career? A sports fan's dream, uh, a legacy like none other. I think more or less a situation that we all know of him from him being a coach, from him being an analyst, from him being a person. We grew up with him, or I'll speak on behalf of myself. Uh, I was raised off of John Madden, to tell the truth, through his uh, knowledge and his video games. Even when he came on the scene with EA Sports, it was just more or less the situation of hearing EA Sports and learning every catchphrase that he threw out there, all of the players that he basically celebrated along with us, and Getting to learn the situation, this is one thing that I had to learn later on as I grew older. He didn't like to fly. So all of the games that you've seen him on Sundays with him in, in Summerall, he drove that bus across the country no matter where it was, sitting on a bus liner, just cruising the country, enjoying the atmosphere, and then getting to a game and seeing something that he loved so much. And we love football right along with him. Upon the, the fact of him just more or less being involved in the game and bringing us in. Nobody did it better. I could care less if you bring in Al Michaels, if you bring in Chris Collinsworth, if you bring Tony Romo, if you bring Troy Aikman. Nobody did it like John Madden. It's unfortunate that the situation happened after he had a special on a network where he celebrated everybody and, and closed out his situation. Great guy, great legend, great icon. There's too many things to attach to him. I love you, John Madden. I cannot lie. You raised me through the sport of football from, I want to at least say, 91 on up. On up. Even the years that I may have missed of playing the game year after year. I know one one game within a year I played 
John Madden's football game. Well put, Ty. He really was a gift as far as what he did for all of us football fans, the way he diagnosed plays on the broadcast. He made every one of us a smarter football fan. He was so fun. He was so entertaining. He was one of the first broadcasters ever who was so wildly popular as a broadcaster that in blowout situations, the TV broadcast would not lose its ratings. People would stay tuned in, even in a blowout, just to listen to John Madden. He was that special. As we know, the video games, like I mentioned, were amazing. They were ahead of their time. They changed the game as far as that goes. And he was a Hall of Fame coach. And you're right, the travel is a big reason why he actually didn't coach longer. He reached the pinnacle of his career. He won a Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders and retired at a pretty young age, got into broadcasting and later into video games. But everything he touched turned to gold. Just an incredible figure, an incredible man. And I I can't agree with you more, Ty. Just an unbelievable figure for the NFL, a bigger-than-life figure, a guy that will certainly be missed. But like I said, Ty, we've got a ton of games that I want to get to. Week 16 in the NFL was crazy. I want to start with the first game all the way back last week, the Thursday night football game. I previewed it right here on this on this podcast for you guys because I thought it was going to have a playoff-type feel to it, and it certainly did. Niners, Titans, the Titans get the win 2017. The Niners started out looking sharp in this game with an opening drive touchdown, and then Jimmy Garoppolo threw a pick in the red zone, missed on a wide-open Kyle Juice check for a touchdown, then threw another interception that gave the Titans a short field. It just really came unraveled for the Niners when it looked like they were going to blow this team out early on. It's one thing about the uh, Titans and they're missing a dynamic player in A.J. Brown and how he was able to bring that dynamic back to that game in the second half. He was quiet in the first half. Tannehill built up some confidence, and it worked out for the better half or the betterment of the team. The one thing about the the Niners is the situation that how dynamic Debo is to that offense to not only lead that team in rushing touchdowns, he's also leading in and receiving touchdowns. He's actually leading the league in receiving yards per reception and rushing yards per carry. Jimmy Garoppolo and company couldn't seal the deal. Uh, fortunate enough that they are still in the hunt in the playoff picture at this point in time too. So I do have to give them credit for them to try to survive the storm as best as possible. But this was a game that they had to have, especially without their dynamic player in King Henry, a.k.a. Derrick Henry, and Julio Jones up and down and in and out of the lineup. The Titans were still able to hang on and and keep face uh, in the AFC South. Yeah, Garoppolo, if you just looked at the stat line, he finished 26 for 35 for 322 yards. On paper, it looked like he had a pretty good game. But when you look at his where he missed in this game, he missed bad and had big mistakes that really cost this team. He was way off the mark on a fourth and six pass that was really pivotal in this game. I talked about some of the big interceptions that he threw. The Niners also had some flags at key points in this game that really killed drives. The offensive line really set this team back at times. What was really head-scratching to me in this one, Ty, was Bosa. Started the game over the third-string left tackle for the Titans, a guy that was coming in relief, and on the first play of the game, he blows up a screen pass but then they moved him to the right side for the majority of the game. I really didn't understand that decision by defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. Here you've got a big-time mismatch. You exploit it right off the bat, and then you move him to the other side of the line. I, I didn't understand that at all. I thought that was a missed opportunity for them. When I watched this game, it really felt like the Niners should have been up 20 or more points at the half. I mean, it felt like they were going to just blow this team out but they let the Titans hang around. They had too many big-time mistakes. They were completely outplayed in the second half. I got to give props to the Titans. They really fought back in this game. I still don't believe in Ryan Tannehill. He played well. He has played well. It it stretches, and he makes some big-time throws, and he made some big-time throws in this game. Don't get me wrong. On third down especially, they converted five times on third and 10, which is more than any other team has all season long. But long-term, unless they get Derrick Henry back, which it sounds like they might, that could completely shift things for them. But right now, I still don't believe in Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Yeah, that was the issue I had with him while he was in Miami. He still hasn't really proven it to me. 
Uh, he is a fast guy, so he's a scrambler. Notably, a lot of the defenses have to respect that. Um, but a lot of the throws is like we wish that he can have back. We will see as time progresses while they get into this postseason run to see how far the Titans go. If not, I feel like they'll fall short, and it might be on the shoulders of Ryan Tannehill after all. I still am like you. I have to see it be done. I'm from the state of Missouri at this point in front of Ryan Tannehill. Ty, I want to shift to the Packers and Browns. This game was a lot closer than a lot of people thought, myself included. I thought the Packers would roll in this game. And at one point, it looked like they were going to, but the Browns made a push, came up just short, 24-20 Packers in this one. Green Bay, they're not blowing teams away, but they're showing me that they can win these tough games, these hard-fought close games. They've won six games this year by three points or less, but they've won four straight. In five of their last six, this is a team that's really playing good football. Packers defense is really what won this game. Five sacks and four picks on Baker Mayfield. Well, this is Baker Mayfield, so we can actually like slow down on that one. But the crazy part about this is the Packers have always survived the storm of a regular season. It's just how they can stay consistent through the postseason and push toward getting to a Super Bowl. This defense is slowly waking up. They're getting turnovers left and right. Rasul Douglas is making a name for himself, especially all the destinations that he's been to and not really been a fit, uh, being a corner that they needed. While a lot of the cornerbacks were questionable, the Packers defense could click alongside the offense. This may go in the Packers' favor. I love that you brought up the Packers defense, Ty. They really turned this game because they got those huge turnovers, the big sacks that I talked about. They were all over Baker Mayfield. They put pressure on him all game. But the Packers offense capitalized on Baker's first three picks, turning all of them into touchdowns. Baker Mayfield is a guy that I know we beat up on this show, but he's done nothing to prove me otherwise. He became the first Brown quarterback to throw four picks in a game in almost a decade. And when you think about all the quarterbacks that have played for the Browns and how bad some of those guys have been for this team, it's shocking to see a stat like that. He completed just two passes of nine attempts for 21 yards total and three picks every time he threw over 10 yards. This is a guy that struggled, absolutely struggled to get the ball down the field in this matchup. And when you look at the Browns, I know we're talking about the Packers here and another big win for them. This is a team that's rolling. This is a team that could very well be the number one seed in the NFC and could make some serious noise and possibly a Super Bowl run. But when we talk about this Browns team, this is a team that a lot of people were picking to go to the Super Bowl in the offseason. And they're in serious trouble right now, Ty. They need to win out and hope for some others to lose just to get into the playoffs at this point. Last week, I talked about Matt LaFleur, and this guy needs some more credit here because I think this guy is still underrated and underappreciated as a head coach. He became the first NFL coach ever to win at least 12 games in each of his first three seasons and is now tied for the most wins by a coach over his first three seasons as well. What he has done in Green Bay is not getting talked about enough. We always talk about Rodgers and Devontae Adams and some of these big playmakers for this team. But Matt LaFleur has really done an incredible job with this Green Bay Packer organization. It's great in the regular season like we just spoke about, but we have to see this thing get done in the postseason. For him to have over 12 wins for the past couple of seasons and them fall short in every last one of them, including one in which San Francisco ran the ball down their throats and they couldn't do anything to survive that storm, and also the situation of taking the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hand and giving it to Mason Crosby to try to kick them to success, not only with the field goal, but an onside kick to knock off Tom Brady. He has to prove it, that he can get it done in the month of January, like mentioned before. I want to shift here, Ty, to the Colts and Cardinals. This was another game that I thought was going to be one of the best games of Week 16. Colts take care of business 22-16. Carson Wentz only threw it 12 times in Week 15 versus the Patriots and was really a major liability, but he bounced back versus a good Cardinal secondary going 18 for 28, 225 yards and two touchdowns. Those aren't numbers that are going to blow you away, but he was really solid in this game, including a big-time final drive that ate four minutes and 30 seconds off the clock, went 69 yards, and put the game on ice for the Colts. The Cardinals are slowly falling asleep at the wheel for how dynamic they started the season. They don't look like they even want to attempt to make the postseason, and it hurts this bad to see DeAndre Hopkins not in the lineup. I really don't want to give too much credit to the secondary because they just got picked on and got rode to sleep by a Detroit Lions team 
if the Cardinals can win a home game, because they should have home field advantage, at least for a first game, and they're losing all of their games at home. Um, second, can they survive without DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, he's one of the better, if not the best receiver in the game. Uh, he'll probably miss that game to start the, the playoffs off. Does Kyler have what it takes to help this Cardinal team get there? They're losing these games in the latter part of the season where they started out electric. Kingsbury, your hands are full at the end of the day. I won't let you dodge this bullet. You can't play Neo from the Matrix at this point. Man, you're right, Ty. This is a team that is moving in the opposite direction. There's no doubt about it. And there was two key players, one that you touched on and another one that I'm going to bring up here. When you look at that 7-0 and start, after the 7-0 and start, J.J. Watt got hurt. And they had been playing him mostly inside at the defensive tackle position. And their run defense had been really stout up until that point. Well, it hasn't been the same since they lost J.J. Watt. Likewise, in these last couple weeks, the offense hasn't been the same without DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins has been Kyler Murray's go-to guy, especially on third down, and that's where they really struggled is on third down and in the red zone these last couple weeks, and his absence has really been felt by this Cardinals team. If you look at the Colts, though, this team is rolling right now. Three straight wins, and they're now 8-2 and two since that 1-4 and four start. They are hot. They're a team that nobody wants to play right now. But I'm glad you touched on Cliff Kingsbury because I think some of this blame has to come back on him. This team has issues right now. There's just too many missed kicks. They had three versus the Colts. The offense is stuck in the mud. They can't finish in the red zone like I talked about. There's too many penalties. This is the second year in a row that the Cardinals are fading down the stretch, and it's probably going to cost them the NFC West title after a huge lead in that division. I want to shift to the LA Rams and the Minnesota Vikings. The Rams take care of the Vikings 30-23. to This was a pretty good game. This Rams team has really impressed me with four straight wins in December. After a rough stretch in November, they've shown a lot of resolve coming back and getting right back in the thick of things in the NFC West. Well, we have a run of games that they've had up against teams that are at least 500 or lower. So we will see when they get into the the limelight on what they can do up against teams that are winning. This is what a lot of people couldn't wait to see with Matt Stafford and what he can do. Hopefully, hopefully he can get out of round one. Let's see him get past the first round of games and see what he could do in the thick of things to push the envelope to get to an NFC championship. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on Matt Stafford because this game, they had some key guys missing, especially on the offensive line, but they went on the road. Matt Stafford didn't play that great. And for the second week in a row, they find a way to win an ugly game. And some people might think of that as alarming, but to me, it shows me that this team has a little bit of grit and has some resolve to it. And I actually like seeing that from this team, that they're not just all flash. They've got some substance. Odell Beckham Jr. is playing his best ball in years. He's got four touchdowns in six games with L.A. He had zero touchdowns in six games with the Browns this year. Speaks volumes on a quarterback that's willing to throw the ball compared to one that wants intermediate routes. It's tough to try to draw the comparison between Baker Mayfield and the offense the way that that's schemed because knowing that they want to look more or less run the ball comparison to Matt Stafford wanting to get the ball out quick and have very elusive quick receivers to make stuff happen at the line of scrimmage where they can get a quick three-yard route and turn that into something dangerous. That's what Cooper Cup has been killing a lot of these corners. And uh, Odell couldn't wait to get into the midst of this as well to get to a quarterback that's ready to get him the ball. So this may actually be a blessing in disguise. This is what can make them dynamic as an offense, especially without Robert Woods. Yeah, and what's exciting for the Rams, and we talked about this in November when they were struggling, I said that this Rams team needs to get back to its identity. They need to get back to running the football. They need to get back to having a more balanced attack, and that was going to help Stafford and this offense start rolling again, and that's exactly what they've done. And now there's reports that running back Cam Akers is expected to return at some point this year, possibly in time for the playoffs. And when you look at it, Sony Michelle is leading the NFL in rushing for the month of December. He's been awesome. And this is a guy that they gave up a six-round pick for. That's all they had to give up for him. And he's really kept things afloat there in the running game and done a really nice job for them. I love the balance that I've seen from this offense. And like I said, if they get Cam Akers back, this offense is going to be really hard to stop. The defense, though, has been really good, Ty. The special teams have been good. Nobody wants to play L.A. right now. This team looks like they're peaking at the right time. 
we will see. Again, they have to get through the storm of teams that are winning. Like if, if it were me and they were playing the Cowboys, I would give the Cowboys a leg up on the Rams. I, I don't know if there's teams that are scared to play the Rams. I, I know that there are teams in the postseason that they know that it'll be a tough matchup, but I really think that they'll have their hands full going up against some of these teams. Stafford has not gotten a postseason win in his career, nor has Odell also. This is all new territory for some new guys to this team. I don't know if teams are scared to play them. I know that it'll be an exciting game to see them match up with any of the other six within the NFC. Yeah, this NFC is loaded. I don't think they're necessarily a favorite in that conference because, like you mentioned, there's so many good teams that they're going to have to play. But I think it's going to make for an awesome playoffs. And you're right. A lot of these key players don't have a ton of playoff experience. But their head coach does. This is a guy who's made it all the way to the Super Bowl. So like you just mentioned, it's a deep NFC, a lot of quality teams. It's going to be an awesome watch, but they're definitely playing some great football right now. Another team that was playing some great football last week was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The defending champs absolutely destroyed the Carolina Panthers 32-6. to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette all out for this game on the offensive side of the ball, while Levante David, JPP, Antoine Winfield Jr. out on the defensive side of the ball and Brady and the Bucks hang 32 on Carolina and only give up six points. This was an awesome game for Tampa Bay, showing how good they can be coming into the playoffs here. Can't poke the goat. Don't mess with him. You got shut out last week. It was gonna somebody's gonna pay. Somebody was gonna pay. And this is the crazy part about it. I'm gonna say this here right now, PGF. Sam Donald and Cam Newton are not NFL quarterbacks. Both of them our history, especially Cam Newton. I don't know if he makes it back to the team next season, but they can't continue to watch this go on as much as everybody is a fan favorite of his. He's been looking bad ever since that first win up against the Cardinals. He has not put together a win or a string of wins at all to help this team. Donald came back and they both look horrible. I, I don't know what to say, including there's a play on the sideline where Robbie Anderson caught a first down. He starts bragging to Tampa Bay and they're down 30 to six or 32 to six at this point in time. It's like, you guys are playing for anything. You guys don't even have moral victories anymore. It's it's, it's almost selfish football at this point, and I, I hope that Rule could turn this around. If not, he might have to go back to college because this is looking bad. Ty, man, you took the words right out of my mouth because there's an old saying in football that goes, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback, and that's exactly what's happening in Carolina right now. Matt Rule decided to play Cam Newton and Sam Darnold, like you said, and Tampa Bay just blew this up in their face. Not only is Cam Newton not an NFL quarterback anymore, Sam Darnold's not an NFL quarterback or a backup at best, but I'm going to take it one step further. Matt Rule is not an NFL coach. This guy is going to be back in college football before we know it, probably at the end of this season. He has just not shown me enough to make me believe that he's the right guy in Carolina. I think it's time for a full-blown rebuild once again in Carolina. It has really not gone their way. And this was a team that started out 3-0 and but lost 10 of their last 12 games, including five straight. Yeah, I think it's over in Carolina. This feels like this team has given up on them. But on the other side of the ball, the Buccaneers got Antonio Brown back. And man, was that return huge for them, especially after losing a guy like Godwin and Mike Evans being out of the lineup. He made the instant impact that I said last week he needed to make in this game with so many key weapons out on offense, 10 catches for 101 yards. He was the best player on the field for the Bucks, And with Fournette out, Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn came up big with 27 carries for 135 yards and a touchdown apiece in this game. It was impressive. What the Bucs did was impressive. I know the Carolina Panthers aren't a good team, but I actually expected this to be a lot more competitive than it was. The defensive front as well for Tampa Bay just took over this game. Seven sacks and they dominated that Panthers O-line. Again, with two quarterbacks that are prone to run before they pass, being Sam Donald and Cam Newton, this is a recipe for disaster, especially while this team just lost the week previous while only giving up nine points. That defense did a good job up against the Saints, and they lost because they got shut out on the offensive side of the ball. Great job by the Bucs. They had to get in and out of this division battle. This didn't even look like a battle. It looked like a scrimmage. And uh, unfortunately, in the situation of the Panthers, they got to get ready for the next two games of the season. They put too many eggs in one basket on Christian McCaffrey. If that's the makeup of this team, they are in for a rude awakening, at least for the next, I don't know, two to three seasons on trying to get this figured out and try to bring some receivers in to help that running game. I couldn't agree with you more, Ty. And that quote after the game that Matt Rule Quoting Jay-Z, I just know no one can see it, and I apologize as I tell our team all the time, 
it took Jay-Z like seven years. He had to start his own agency to become famous, to become an overnight sensation. It takes time. What, what the hell was that? I'm sorry, you don't have seven years. You're lucky if you get seven more games. I, this guy is completely in over his head. And, and quotes like that just make him look even more ridiculous than he did playing two quarterbacks. Want to shift gears here, Ty, to the Bills and Patriots. This was a big-time matchup in the AFC East. Bills get a win, a big-time win at that, 33-21. When it mattered most, Josh Allen and the Bills played the best game of the year and they grabbed control of the division. The Bills essentially won this game wire to wire, led by Allen in the offense, who averaged 5.7 yards per play. Seven of their nine possessions went into the red zone, and they converted on three of four fourth down attempts. The Patriots didn't force a single punt in this game. Uh, the one thing about this, I know the Bills had revenge on their mind, and the one thing that hurt them in that last game was the fact that the Patriots could not throw the ball because of the wind, and that running game just damaged them. You know that the defense was more honed in on trying to make sure that that running game didn't get started and put a lot of pressure on Mac Jones to get things to work, watching Josh Allen actually perform. At a clip where you know more or less Bill Belichick knows that he's the dynamic player that he has to slow down on that offensive side of the ball, whether it's passing or him being the best running threat for the Buffalo Bills at this point in time. I do have to tip my hat to McDermott and the scheme of things for this offense to get this job done, to split at least the series right now and get the lead in the AFC East. I don't believe they can hang on to it. Show me, though, Buffalo. Show me that you can because I want you to. But it's something about the Patriots that's making me feel like they're in your rear view and going to steal this thing back and reclaim their division. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I think this is going to come down to the wire. These were the two teams that we picked to win this division. I said that these teams would finish one and two. I know you had them near the top as well, and that's exactly how it's played out. The Bills' defense was big on third down. In this game, they absolutely made huge plays, holding the Pats to only one conversion on 10 attempts on third down. Just outstanding play by them. Josh Allen played the best game of his career. I mean, not just the best game of the year. This was an a career-making game for him behind a reshuffled O-line. This guy was throwing lasers with 314 yards, three touchdowns, 64 yards rushing, including a huge fourth down run late to help seal it. Really can't say enough about what I saw from the Bills. I thought this was probably one of the most impressive victories of the NFL season, considering the Patriots had just beaten them a couple weeks ago. One of the key takeaways for this for me in this game, though, Ty, was Isaiah McKenzie. He could be the starting slot receiver going going forward for this Bills team. He's a faster player than Cole Beasley. He really made a huge impact on this game. 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. Uh, until everything health-wise comes back intact for Cole Beasley, we'll see other players add and plug as best as they possibly can. They also have Gabe Davis, too. So these guys are actually able to make plays. It's just the consistency of Josh Allen being able to hit these guys. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is there, and he doesn't even have the high volume of targets that he should have. Uh, it's more or less for Josh Allen to wake up and start hitting these guys and knowing what's on the line, and that's the Super Bowl at the end of the day. They can get to the postseason all they want. They can get to an AFC championship all they want. The objective is to bring that trophy back to Western New York. That's it. And they have the pieces to do it other than the backfield. I give him credit. He's doing it up without a running back or a backup running back. But uh, they're doing just fine. They at least hang on to their division and be in the hunt to try to bring that trophy back. Ty, we've been questioning the Bills for the last several weeks here because they just hadn't looked like a true contender. They looked like a team that was good, not great. I'm still not sure they are great, but this was a big win for them, and it will mean a lot as far as postseason seeding and whatnot. And for that, possibly that division title, it could go a long ways. Shifting to the Patriots side of the ball, Mac Jones looked like a rookie in this one with only 145 yards and two interceptions. Now, he played better in the second half, but the Patriots didn't have enough on offense to win this game with the Bills moving the ball basically at will in this one. The Patriots defense had struggled the last two weeks against the Colts running game, and now the Bills passing attack. Both teams are now 9-6, and six, but the Patriots fall to the sixth seed with this loss. And with games versus the Jags and Dolphins left, the Bills have the Falcons and Jets left on their schedule. These last two weeks are going to come down to the wire in that division. 
I really think it will too. Um, I think it more or less favors the Bills to hang on to the division lead. Um, but we'll see. Bill Belichick has surprised us before, and uh, he's proven that he is the GOAT. And that, that's one thing for sure. But this is very interesting in the AFC East, to say the least. No doubt about it. A division that hasn't been very interesting and it was all wrapped up is the NFC East. The Cowboys absolutely destroy the Washington football team 56 to 14. Ty, we've talked about this team a lot as well. And it's a team that I've had a hard time figuring out. In the past seven games leading into this game, Dak Prescott had nine touchdowns and six picks. He had me starting to question if he truly is good enough to take this team to the promised land, but he finally looked like the guy that we saw earlier this season, and he tore apart this Washington defense. Well, it's bad because the Washington defense, they're on the field a lot. They don't have the consistent offense. Gibson is their bright spot, along with Terry McLaurin. Other than that, they they are in a dead zone. Uh, Heineke had some success last season. Coming into this season, he's been up and down, but we're starting to see the true him. The clock has struck 12, the turning into a pumpkin. The glass slipper doesn't fit anymore. He's not really the guy to carry this football team, but it was good while it lasted. Uh, the Cowboys took advantage of this situation. They were clicking on all cylinders, including the fact that they didn't have to go to their guys in the passing offense and still got the job done with Zeke going crazy in the offense as well. Shout out to Dak for him to actually turn this thing around. We just have to see the Cowboys play consistently. I am not buying the football team for the remainder of the season. I think they're going to lay down and try to get their best pick, if we will, unless they have an easy game to get an easy win. But other than that, I I don't see them turning this thing around, especially while, you know, their star and Gibson is listed questionable every single week. Yeah, this was definitely a mismatch, no doubt about it. And it was a mismatch at the quarterback position, especially that you touched on there, Ty. But it was nice to see Dak Prescott finally show some mobility, keeping plays alive with his legs, taking those big shots downfield on the defensive side of the ball for the Cowboys. My preseason pick for defensive rookie of the year is a lock because Micah Parsons has 13 sacks now on the season. And if he gets two more in the last two weeks, he'll break the NFL rookie sack record. This guy has been unbelievable. I thought he was going to be good. Don't get me wrong. I was really high on this guy. I pumped him up all offseason during our draft coverage, but he's been even better than what I expected. What an outstanding player he's been for that defense. But Washington, you touched on it. They just were really undermanned in this game with four defensive starters out, multiple players on offense, but they didn't even show up to play in this game. That's what was the most alarming thing. I get that you're undermanned. I get that you don't have the talent to really keep up with this team, but they got absolutely crushed. They got turned into a punching bag by the Dallas Cowboys. When I look at the Cowboys, the reason it's so hard to figure this team out, Ty, the Cowboys have really beat up on inferior competition most of the year. They're 5-0 and versus the NFC East, and they're 6-4 and versus everyone else. How far is this team going to go in the playoffs, Ty, in that loaded NFC that we talked about earlier? It just depends on matchups and the team that they get, depending on if they're at home or a team that they could take advantage of on the road. Um, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people that are from – the Cowboy organization that do not want to play the Packers. But I feel like that's the only way to get over the hump. I, I think that's redemption role, the way that you should want it, not to run away from it and have somebody else handle the business. You get in front of that uh, truck and try to fight that thing off. Otherwise, you'll be caught behind that thing and, and ran over by the grill of that truck as well. Yeah, Ty, I can't wait to watch it all play out, man. The playoffs are so close, I can almost taste it. But we got to put a bow on Week 16. We do it every week with the NFL Week 16 game ball for this week. Ty, who gets the game ball for you? I have to go with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow had that 525-yard passing day, four touchdowns thrown. Um, If it would have gotten any worse, I think the Ravens would have waved the white flag, especially with this being a divisional game. Burrow has arrived. As much as he played good this season, I think he now knows what it takes to beat tougher defenses, including that being the Baltimore Ravens, and him dominating them in two different games, throwing over 400 yards in each game that he's beaten them by blowout. 
Ty, that's a great pick, man. And Joe Burrow has arrived. There's no doubt about it. You could make a serious case that this guy is the best quarterback in this division. I know Lamar Jackson's still there, and he's a dynamic player. But this kid is quickly rising up the ranks as one of the best young quarterbacks in this league. Cincinnati is going to be really good for years to come here, especially if they can build around this guy because he's got franchise quarterback written all over him. And you're right, Ravens defensive coordinator Don Martindale taking that shot at Burrow the media before the game man he made him pay for that ty 525 yards like you said fourth most in nfl history for a single game that was impressive no doubt about it i'm gonna give my game ball tie to dak prescott of the dallas cowboys he went 28 for 39 for 330 yards and four touchdowns as well and really just came out of that slump that lasted over a month. He lit up Washington, moving the ball with ease. It was a total blowout like we just talked about, and Dak Prescott was a huge part of it. So Dak gets the game ball for me. All right, PGF Nation, like I said in the intro, I've got a special guest on today's show. He covers the Dallas Cowboys and is going to help us preview this big Week 17 matchup between Dallas and Arizona. And like always, this interview is brought to you by Better Edge. So I hope you guys enjoy and stick around afterwards for the Pick 6 betting segment. Excited to be joined by Mark Lane, who covers the Dallas Cowboys for ABC Sports Affiliate, WFAA, Channel 8 in Dallas. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Brad. Good to be on with you. I'm excited to have you on, Mark. We've got a big matchup I want to jump into with you. You being a guy who covers the Dallas Cowboys closely, this team destroyed the Washington football team in Week 16. They've wrapped up a relatively weak NFC East division. They've won four straight, but mostly versus COVID-riddled, injured, or struggling teams. So are the Dallas Cowboys elite, or are they just good enough to beat up bad teams? Uh, I think that they're elite, and part of what you do as an elite team is you throttle bad teams. You don't play down to their level. Uh, against Washington, you saw really all three phases clicking, and that's really where Dallas is dangerous, is when all three phases are clicking. And is with the way the Cowboys are playing right now, the only weaknesses are COVID and uh, whether or not they, you know, at any given Sunday, that's basically it. If they have everybody on the field and, it, you know, no one's nixed because of COVID or something and they're playing their game, I don't think there's anybody that can stop them. And the teams that they have lost to this season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were missing Zach Martin, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Amari Cooper was nixed. Uh, C.D. Lamb had a concussion right before halftime. So uh, the Las Vegas Raiders on Thanksgiving, they didn't, again, they didn't have C.D. Lamb. They didn't have Amari Cooper. Uh, the Denver Broncos, that's an any given Sunday type of situation. They've got the defensive line rotation going. And they've got Micah Parsons. And they've got a playmaker in the secondary in Trayvon Diggs. That's why I think that this is an elite team. I think that they will represent the NFC East in the conference title game. The breaks just seem to be going their way this season. And that's why I think that they're a team of destiny. You certainly could be right, Mark. Earlier in the year, I was starting to think that this team had a Super Bowl feel to them. They certainly check a lot of the boxes that you look for. Like you said, a very complete football team this year. It's hard to find holes on this roster. But then they kind of hit that lull here in these last couple of weeks where prior to the Washington game, I didn't think Dak quite looked right. The offense didn't quite look like I expected from them. Beating teams, but not really. They hadn't really impressed me until this Washington game. And all of a sudden, it kind of opened my eyes. And I thought, okay, it, are they are they that good? Or are they elite? I kind of been on this in this weird middle area for Dallas all year where I, I'm almost looking at them like, are my eyes lying to me? Are they this? good but I do think you're right as far as being a team that could seriously make some noise it wouldn't surprise me at all and I think it starts in a big way this Sunday with this game against Arizona they're going to face a 10 and 5 Cardinals team at home that have won seven of eight on the road this year Arizona held the NFL leading rusher Jonathan Taylor to 108 yards on 27 carries and kept him out of the end zone in a losing effort to Indy 
How important will it be for Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard to have a big impact if Dallas is going to win this game? That's been uh, part of the secret to how Dallas has been able to win games is their efficiency on the ground. So they're getting creative with ways that they get them the football. Uh, They're going to have to, and I think that they have been splitting their carries and trying to keep them as fresh as possible. Ezekiel Elliott looked a little better against Washington. He's been playing with the knee brace. And Pollard has been dealing with plantar fasciitis. He said he wanted to cut his foot off. Um, That's how bad the pain was, which forced him to miss the first Washington game in Week 14. So they're going to have to find ways to run the ball just to keep that pass rush away from Dak. And if they can get the run game going, that's how Indianapolis was able to able to beat them. That's also how the Detroit Lions were able to have some success because they had over 100 rushing yards on the ground against Arizona. But they're a desperate team, just like Denver was, when they came into AT&T Stadium in Week 9. Dallas is going to have to really be on point, but I think they are. I think they've narrowed their focus, and they realize what a threat the Cardinals are. And if they want to have command of the game, they're going to need to get the run game going, which, by the way, Tyron Smith, it looks like he's going to play against Arizona, and that will help uh, because now you have him at left tackle, and then you'll be able to utilize – what Kellen Moore has been doing with guard Connor McGovern in the backfield and then maybe have the Hulk package at your disposal since you'll have Terrence Steele to play some swing tackle and then you can kick Lyle Collins in the backfield for that inverted bone a la the Hulk package. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think it's going to be a big key in this game certainly is Dallas's ability to run the ball And I think really when you look at Dallas, in a lot of ways, it's the straw that stirs the drink because as good as Dak Prescott is, as good as this wide receiver group is, I think when the running game gets going is really when Dallas is at its best offensively. And I think in this matchup, it's going to be key. I was a little surprised at actually how well Arizona played against the run. I know he had 100 yards rushing or over 100 yards, but it seemed like he really had to work for it. And they actually bottled up the run a lot better than I thought. So I do think it's something to look for in this game. Certainly, Mark, what matchup, either player versus player or position group versus position group, do the Cowboys have a big advantage in this game that you're going to be looking for on Sunday? I think their defensive line versus the Cardinals, I think that's where they're going to have a a big impact is because even though Rodney Hudson may be able to go, according to Coach Cliff Kingsbury on Wednesday, that, that Cowboys defensive line is all about rotation and keeping guys fresh, which they're able to do because Randy Gregory – is healthy and Demarcus Lawrence is healthy and Dorrance Armstrong can be a role player and not have to start. And then Michael Parsons can rush from anywhere, not just off the edge, but from up the middle as well. So I think if Arizona can find a way to neutralize Dallas's offensive line in some measure, that will definitely help them beat Dallas. But Dallas is just having their way on the defensive line at the line of scrimmage. It's going to be very difficult for Arizona. Yeah, the defensive line has been so good. The defense in general has been so good. And it's a perfect segue here because Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray, he presents a unique challenge for defenses with his mobility and his accuracy throwing the ball. The Dallas defense has made huge improvements this year under defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. How do you expect them schematically to try to defend Murray? They're going to try to keep him in the pocket, so to speak, and they're going to be aware that it's going to that everything above the 2.3 seconds is in play. The way the Cowboys segment a play is you have pre-snap and then you have obviously a snap, which they call 
2.3 seconds. And then after 2.3 seconds after the snap, that's when a, you know, a quarterback is scrambling or the play's breaking down or so forth. They're going to, they're really going to be on guard for the 2.3 seconds. But what makes Kyler Murray difficult is he can throw from so many different platforms. He can throw from so many parts of the field. Difficult to defend. One of the things that Dallas did was they they saw some quarterbacks this season that were scramblers, so to speak, like Jalen Hurts. And with Jalen Hurts, what they what their strategy was is you you kind of rush to a particular point, and if they're able to do that against Kyler Murray, then that's that's going to help. You have to rush to a particular spot, and you have to make them uncomfortable. So that's what Dallas is going to have to do, is find ways to be disruptive. And I think with a guy like Murray the, coming up the middle, if they can do that with Parsons, that'll be especially key. I think that's a great point. I think pressure up the middle will be key to this game. And the other thing you said is that that contained rush that you talk about, because with a guy like him, if you overshoot the rush, so to speak, you open up those big running lanes for a mobile quarterback like him. And I totally understand what you're saying. I think it'll be vital that they, these guys stay in their lanes and, and don't over pursue the rush, so to speak, and open up those big running lanes. Mark, the Cowboys win this game if? They win the game if they get three turnovers and they convert three of four in the red zone. I love it. It's a simple answer, but it's probably spot on because I think those those two areas, as we know, red zone offense and red zone efficiency along with the turnover battle are always key in any ball game. I certainly think it'll be key when these two really good teams face off next week. I know I'm excited. Can't wait to watch this game. I'm sure you're excited as well. And thank you again. Once again, we've been joined by Mark Lane who covers the Dallas Cowboys for ABC Sports Affiliate, WFAA Channel 8 in Dallas. Mark, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate you. It's time for the Pick 6, presented by Better Edge. We're going to pick our six best bets of the week ahead. Ty, why don't you kick it off with your first pick of the Pick 6? Uh, the first game that I have on slate, and this, this, is, this is where I set it off, people, so please forgive me. I'm going to go with, Michigan to knock off Georgia, money line it. I think Harbaugh gets it done to beat this team, uh, to set it off. As much as I, I, I want Georgia to try to get their first national championship, and that's been since 1980, over 40 years, I really feel like Michigan has that front four to bring pe- pressure to uh, Stetson Bennett and, and get him erratic. If, if he can't get any passes completed, I think this could be an uphill battle for Georgia and an underdog to come in there and knock them off. I'm going with Michigan outright. Man, Ty, I love that pick. I really love that pick, and I love the boldness to take Michigan with the outright win there on the money line. Georgia right now, I'm looking at it as a a 7.5-point favorite, but I like this matchup as well. I think Michigan matches up really well against this Georgia team, and I think there's a very good chance that they win this game outright and shock some people. So I love that first pick by Utah. My first pick is going to shock some people as well here at PGF Nation. I'm going to take the New England Patriots and lay the 15 and a half points versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. I usually never lay this many points in an NFL game, but this is a big game for New England, who's lost two straight, and they're now fighting for playoff position Plus, Bill Belichick's record versus rookie quarterbacks is impressive. This is a guy that makes rookies head spin, and Trevor Lawrence has been anything but impressive. Lawrence hasn't thrown a touchdown in five weeks. He has one of the worst QBRs in the league, one of the worst touchdown-to-interception ratios in the league. Pat's roll at home, and I'm going to lay the big number here. My next pick, I'm going with the North Carolina to beat South Carolina, and I'm taking... Uh, to give them the nine and a half to South Carolina. I'm not impressed with what they've been doing. They both are sitting at six and six. I think Howell has to go out with a bang to his college career to try to oppress uh, at least some of these NFL coaches or scouts. I'm going with Howell to go up big up against the Gamecocks. This is a team that came in 
as a top 10 team in a lot of preseason polls, a team that really underwhelmed as far as living up to that billing. They came into the, the league as a top 10 team for a reason. It's because they have a lot of talent. They've got a lot of guys that are going to play on Sunday, including the quarterback that you just mentioned. And I do think he's got something to prove on this showcase game. So I like that pick a lot, Ty. My next pick, I'm going to go with the Washington football team plus four versus the Eagles. We talked about Washington, just got blown out, got embarrassed on national TV last week versus Dallas. Well, the Cowboys are head and shoulders better than this Eagles team. And things that I look for when I'm betting, home team, divisional game, getting over a field goal, check, check, check. Plus, it's a letdown spot, something I also look for in a lot of betting situations. It's a letdown spot for Philly, and everything lines up for the Washington football team because it's a bounce-back spot for them. I think they come out fired up after getting embarrassed like that. I think they play a heck of a game, and the fact that they're getting four at home, I think there's value there on the Washington football team. Uh, my last pick for the week, this is a very interesting one as much as I see it. I see the Niners drilling the Texans. 12 and a half is something about it, even with Garoppolo being out. That's scary that that number is so high. That means that they are going to crush them. And the crazy part about it is, is the Texans won't sit up here and try to ruin what they have in front of them draft-wise. So I think they'll try to calm this thing down. If they go out there and win and the Texans don't really have many pieces there, they just I'll shake my head at this situation. I'm giving the Texans the 12 and a half. I think the Niners throttled them in Santa Clara. I think you're right, Ty. I love that pick. I actually bet that pick on Better Edge already, Ty. I love it. I'm totally with you. I think the Niners roll. Trey Lance is going to come in. They're going to run some zone read stuff, some option stuff, some quarterback read stuff. They're going to bring some stuff to this Texans team that they haven't seen all year. They're not going to have any game film or very little game film on Trey Lance. It's going to be really hard for them to defend. And this is a Houston team that struggles to stop the run. And the 49ers love to pound the rock this is a big time mismatch in the trenches i'm totally with you i think the niners roll especially after that loss last week they know they've got to get back into the mix here in the playoffs and it's a huge game for them with my last pick tie i'm going to take alabama crimson tide minus 13 and a half i'm going to lay the points versus the cincinnati bearcats i gave this pick out a few weeks ago back when we previewed the college football playoff semifinal games i've said all year long that cincinnati is a fraud. If this Cincinnati team played in the Power Five conference, there is 0% chance that they go undefeated. They barely beat Navy, Tulane, and Tulsa. These are teams that couldn't win a game in the SEC, let alone win the SEC like Alabama did. Experience edge, coaching edge, talent edge, depth edge, all favor Alabama. Roll tide in this one. If you enjoy the pick six betting segment, be sure to follow me on betteredge.com at Brad Fowler PGF, where I give out additional NFL and college football picks. But all right, that is going to do it for the pick six. It's also going to do it for today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Have a great New Year's, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.